Sometimes, work in education doesn't happen in the classroom. There's work behind the scenes at think tanks, nonprofits, and in the federal government that all play key roles in what life inside the classroom can look like. You're listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. I'm Casey Moulton, podcast editor. This week, we're continuing our Witties in the Workforce series, this time through an interview with Ellie Klein, Interim Officer of Strategy, Planning, and Management at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Klein's career hasn't been straightforward since her graduation in 2010, but has always been focused on educational equity. Right now, that work is in philanthropy. Here's Apashaya with the full conversation. So thank you so much, Ellie, for meeting with me today. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yep. My name is Ellie Klein. I graduated from Whitman in 2010, and I currently live in Seattle. So what do you do as a career? Yeah, I currently work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in their U.S. program. And since graduating from Whitman, I've worked in a variety of places, but all in the public sector. Uh, I started off as an AmeriCorps member south of Seattle in Federal Way. Then I spent a year teaching English in Spain. And then I spent seven years in Washington, D.C., uh, where I got my graduate degree at George Washington University. And I worked in research institutions, nonprofits, and the federal government. So you mentioned being a AmeriCorps member. What what does that mean? Yeah, great question. So AmeriCorps is sort of like the Peace Corps, which some people are more familiar with, but domestically. And so it's a federal government program. It's often folks right out of high school or college who work in different public sector roles. So in my case, I was working in a school district as a tutor for English language learners. We also did community service projects. So cleaning up local parks in Federal Way and doing landscaping, repainting community centers, things like that. I have other AmeriCorps friends, uh, friends from Whitman, actually, who did AmeriCorps, who worked in like public health settings as well. So there's a whole variety of things that you can do with AmeriCorps. And you mentioned like you worked like at many different places. Is there like a particular trajectory for your work? So I've worked in a lot of different places. I definitely didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be when I left Whitman. I'm still not totally sure that I know what I want to be, but I knew I was interested in education and education policy. So that's why I started in this AmeriCorps role and then continued to pursue roles where I could learn more about education policy. So I worked at the Brookings Institution, which is a think tank in D.C., researching education policy in our K-12 education system. And then at the Aspen Institute, which is another think tank looking more at higher education policy, so college and career issues. And then I worked for the Government Accountability Office, which is a federal government agency uh, where I actually sort of expanded the work I did beyond just education, researching lots of different federal government programs at the request of members of Congress. So you mentioned that like you are working like at US program right now at Bill Gates, like a Melinda Gates Foundation. What is it doing? Great question. So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation primarily focuses on global health. So they do a lot of work around 
polio and malaria eradication. You might have seen that they've done a lot of work around COVID vaccines in the past two years. And they have a smaller program focused on the U.S., which is primarily focused on U.S. education, trying to decrease the racial disparities in student outcomes in our public education system. The U.S. program oversees a K-12 program and higher education and a few others, but what we do at the foundation is we give out grants, we give out money to either school districts or nonprofits that are doing work that's sort of aligned with our strategic focus, and then we work with those folks administering the grant to understand what the mon money is doing, what sort of impact it's having in the community, to build those relationships with our grantees. So why do you choose to work at this foundation? What is different? Yeah. So when I was at the Brookings Institution and the Aspen Institute, lots of think tanks are primarily funded through philanthropy. They get a lot of their money from philanthropy. So I had been on the opposite side of that. When I was at Brookings, I got money from the Walton Family Foundation. That's the family that created Walmart. And then when I was at Aspen, got money from Bloomberg Philanthropies, Michael Bloomberg's philanthropy. And so I had seen being on the other side of it. And I was curious what it would be like to sit within a philanthropy. How do they make those decisions? Who do they decide to fund? What are their internal strategies and focus? So when this opportunity came up at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I thought it would be a good way to learn more about philanthropy and to continue to be in Seattle where I had moved already. I was living in Seattle from DC. And an interesting tidbit too is I, I joined in March 2020. So like many recent college graduates, I entered the workforce totally remotely. I entered uh, the Gates Foundation totally remotely. So I had my laptop shipped to me and joined from my house. So you mentioned that you're currently working in Seattle. So is this foundation only focused like in the Washington state or U.S. as a whole or the entire world? So the employees of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are primarily in Seattle, but there's another office in Washington, D.C. And then we also have offices abroad. So I believe there's an office in London, in New Delhi, India. There's an office in China and an office in Africa as well. And there might be one more that I'm forgetting. But then in terms of what we fund, uh, we fund work, we give money out all over the country and all over the world. It's not only concentrated in those places. So for example, for the U.S. program, they don't just give money in the Seattle area to Seattle school district and to Seattle nonprofits, but they're giving money in Texas and Tennessee and Florida, et cetera. So it's pretty far and wide. And so do you only work with public schools or do you work with like private education as well? Yeah, it's mostly with public schools and um, charter schools, given sort of the our priority population, which is often students who are experiencing poverty. So less so in private schools, although some of the work we do around curriculum development and software may also benefit students in private schools, but they're not our sort of population of focus. What is your role inside the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? So when I started, I was in a research and evaluation role. So I was looking at a lot of data and trying to understand trends in K through 12 education, especially at the start of COVID. What was COVID's impact on K through 12 education? How was it affecting our grantees and partners? How might we make different decisions based on what we fund, based on the need? 
right? So for example, there was a lot of need around technology and the digital divide. Students didn't have access to laptops or computers. Things like that were coming up that weren't problems previously prior to COVID. And then now I'm in a role in the office of the president, which looks across our programs. So again, we have a K through 12 program, we have a post-secondary program, a higher education program, trying to see how do those programs connect with each other? How do we work across those different teams? Sort of like at Whitman, you know, there's different departments of economics and science. How do you work across those different teams to share a mission and a focus? I also did some internal operations thing, less focused on where we give money, but more focused on how do we we treat our employees here. So I did some work on revising our onboarding and orientation for new staff coming into the program as well. How is your work day? When, from when to when do you work? And what is your particular day? Yeah, so usually I work from around 8.30 a.m. to 5.00 p.m. And in this COVID environment, again, it's all from my house. So it's me turning on my computer. And in my current role at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I'm in a lot of meetings. So it's a lot of Zoom calls, video meetings, talking to people, meeting after meeting, and then the work that goes into that, preparing for the meetings, taking the notes in the meetings, trying to figure out what our next step to move this grant forward or this project forward. So I work a lot in PowerPoint too, making a lot of slide decks. Sometimes I'm working in Excel, doing data analysis. Sometimes I'm doing some writing. Last summer, I wrote a blog post that was published. So I had to work with our communications team in order to draft and edit the work that went out and also come up with some tweets to share the blog post out. What is your current project? My current project, great question. I have been working on a project looking at our charter schools portfolio and sort of the research and evaluation strategy for that. So how do we decide what to invest in? How, what sort of metrics and data points do we want to look at in order to make decisions? What kind of tools and like what data do you use for your work? We try to use a lot of data either that's publicly available. So like the Department of Education has data points that are available. Sometimes when working with grantees, we have data sharing agreements where they have their own data that they share with us that we look at. There's some qualitative data that we look at too, like surveys of students. So there's lots of different, different things depending on the project. Yeah. And how do you measure your success in a particular project? So for each sort of focus area within our projects, we often have a measurement learning and evaluation plan where we have a a theory of action or a theory of change. It's like, what do we think is going to change because of the money that we're giving out to this area? So we'll identify, you know, our hypotheses. What do we think will happen? What are the leading indicators we would need to see change to know that we're having the impact we think we are? And then we would see if we could measure that change over time. Sometimes there might be short-term outcomes and long-term outcomes. So we'd try to identify the time frame in which that would happen. And we'd see those different numbers come back. And then sometimes things like COVID happen, right? And your whole plan sort of changes based on the context. Um, and so you have to rethink your research and evaluation plan and come up with a new, a new strategy. So how does the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation get their income? Yep. So it's all 
primarily from Bill and Melinda themselves and the, and the wealth that they created through Microsoft. And then that's an, an endowment or a trust that grows with interest over time. So they use the money from that. And then also some other folks can donate money to the foundation, which we also use in our investment. But primarily in philanthropy, that's often how it works. Like the Walton Family Foundation I mentioned, that's the Walmart family. So the family that created Walmart had a lot of money that they wanted to put into this foundation to give money towards public sector interests. The same with Bloomberg Philanthropies. Also in Seattle, there's Vulcan, which was founded by Paul Allen, another founder of Microsoft. So it's often people who created their wealth in business and decided they wanted to give some of that money money back to the community they lived in or a broader community. Do you think that the solutions you come up with offer a long-term solution or would it still continue to need the philanthropic support? That's such a great question. And I think one that um, the field of philanthropy is is struggling with. I think traditionally, well, there's a lot of different ways to do philanthropy, right? You can look at recent examples like Mackenzie Scott, who has been just writing checks and giving money away. She doesn't have tons of slide decks and strategies where she's asking grantees for data and measuring progress, but rather does some work up front and then just gives the money away. And then there's other places more like us that try to define what the problem is and sometimes define what we think the solution is too and give money towards what we think might work. And then there's other philanthropies that are somewhere in between. There's community-based philanthropies that work really closely with the communities that they're in to give money in that way and let the communities define what the solution is. So that's an approach too. And I think another part of your question is maybe what's the role of philanthropy versus what's the role of government? Are you meeting a gap that the government doesn't fill? Or are you innovating in a space that the government doesn't fund? Are you giving money to solve a problem? Or do you just always have to give money year after year after year? And I think a lot of what philanthropy tries to do is move quickly and innovate in a space where the government there is a gap in government funding, funding, but sometimes they try to build a system so that the government can later come in and provide that funding too. It sort of depends on the issue area and the type of philanthropist and how much time maybe they're willing to devote to a specific problem or solution. Yeah, that's very interesting. And so do you think Whitman has prepared you well for this job? Yeah, I think Whitman did. You know, when I was at Whitman, I majored in rhetoric and film studies, which I now understand, I think, is two different departments. I don't even know if rhetoric is still... Is rhetoric still department? It is. Okay, yeah, yay. It is. They're still okay, there. great. So I loved my major and I loved my classes in rhetoric in particular because I felt like they taught me how to take a really complex problem and see multiple points of view, look at evidence, look at data, and turn that into a compelling narrative to drive change. And so much of my work has been about that where I have a really complex problem, I have to come up to speak quickly and learn a lot of things. And then I have to present that back to someone in order to motivate them to make a change or do something differently. So in that way, I do feel like Whitman really prepared me for my career. Yeah. And do you think that you have like created that change? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think, you know, change is hard. Like I've heard people say if, you know, a problem was easy to solve, it would be solved already. And a lot of the issues I work on are like 
big complex issues like how to make the U.S. public education system better or how to increase the number of high achieving students experiencing poverty in colleges and universities. So there, I think the bigger the problem, the longer it takes to solve. And I can't say that I personally have solved any of these problems, but I think I've added a little bit here and there to to research and also hopefully made things better in all the organizations I've been in for the employees that are there through doing internal learning sessions or work around diversity, equity, and inclusion or onboarding and orientation. I always try to make an impact in the organization I'm into for the employees that are right there. Are you satisfied with your job? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think at different points in my career, I've had different experiences that I've been more or less satisfied with. I still think the best job I ever had was my AmeriCorps job, the first one I had after Whitman. So I really encourage everyone to check out AmeriCorps and think about that, especially as they're they're leaving college. But in general, yes, I'm satisfied with my career. And what is like the difficulty you face in your job? Such a good question. You know, I think why I liked the AmeriCorps job the best is because I was working directly with students, right? I got your question about what have I changed. When I was in AmeriCorps, I got to see change every single day. I got to see students learning. I got to see them growing and progressing. And as I've continued in my career, I've sort of gotten further and further away from students while still continuing to work in this education policy space. So when I was at the Brookings Institution, I was just sitting in an office every day looking at data, looking at Excel spreadsheets, looking at numbers, but I wasn't seeing any students. Same when I was at the Aspen Institute or when I was with the federal government and also true at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I think it can be a challenge to work on an issue when you're not seeing the people that you're trying to do work in service of face to face because it can be hard to see the impact of your work or feel like you're really making a change. But in practice, do you think that what you're doing right now is like helping like from a bigger picture and like it's more impactful than doing it on an individual level? Yeah, I think that's the trade-off, right? When you're when I was in AmeriCorps, when I was in a classroom of students, my sort of sphere of influence was just the people right there, right? It was a smaller population size. It was, you know, 15 or 20 students, or throughout the day, maybe I would see 100 students, where being at the Brookings Institution, I had a project where I was looking at the 100 largest school districts across the country. And each one of those school districts served thousands and thousands of students. So the number was much higher, but the work I was doing was just a tiny little piece, right? And probably work that those students themselves didn't even know was happening. Their teachers might not know was happening. Their school district administrators might not even know was happening. So it's a broader population, but feels like a smaller drop in the bucket. I guess maybe a good metaphor is like food coloring, right? When you're like in a school, it's a tiny cup and you can like really see the impact of your work, but it's just one cup versus if you have a big swimming pool and you put a tiny drop of food dye, you're not going to see the water change, but it's a bigger body of water. So do you have any plan to change your job maybe in the future, next like 10 years? like, Or is it going to be like the work that you're going to do until your retirement? Oh, good question. I am definitely going to change my 
job. So I'm currently in a role at the Gates Foundation that has um, an end date. It's a limited term role. So I'm actually just about to figure out what I'm doing next. I haven't decided yet, but I think I'll stay in this field of doing public sector work, of doing research and evaluation, of probably doing work related to public education. And I'm sure I'll change that a number of times again <laughs> before I retire. And maybe I'll even change fields or topic areas. I don't know. I I sort of see my career, I think I said to you before, like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was leaving Whitman and I still don't know really what I want to be. I just follow what's interesting and see my career as more of a jungle gym versus a ladder. It's not like being a doctor or a lawyer where there's really specific steps. And I know if I do this for three years, then I'll do this next year. And then this, I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but I try to keep just challenging myself to learn new things, explore different topic areas, different organizations and different sectors, and try to go to places where I do feel like I can have an impact and, and use my skills. I think that's like a very good perspective and like very realistic. Do you think there's, I think there's like a stigma on like changing a job too often is not a bad thing. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I think this has definitely changed over time, right? I think in my parents' generation, my parents were born in the 1940s and 50s. And as they were entering their careers in the 1960s and 70s, it was much more common to maybe only have three or four organizations that you worked at in your whole life, right? In a whole career, maybe you work at four different places. Whereas now, I mean, I've already worked at six different organizations in 12 years in my career. And I think it's much more common now to change employers and even totally change your career or the direction you're going. I was just talking to a Whitman alum the other day who had been working in the technology space and for a private company and now was switching to do more public sector work abroad. So I think it's very common now to switch. And I think if you switch, you know, every six months or every year, or you're never at a job for more than a year, that can start to look bad and people might wonder why. But I don't think there's much of a stigma around changing jobs every couple of years. Thank you for your perspective. And what if like some listeners are interested in following like the kind of like the same trajectory as yours? Like, do you have any recommendations? Oh, yeah. I have done so many informational interviews with people that have jobs that seem interesting to me in my life. So I would recommend that to anyone. Go on LinkedIn, find people that have the jobs that you think you want, reach out to them and talk to them. I also think there's a lot of great job boards where you can find jobs if you want to learn more. If any one's interested in philanthropy, there's a great one called EPIP, E-P-I-P, Emerging Practitioners in Philanthropy. That's good. And yeah, I'm sure the Career Center has even more that they could recommend. But the LinkedIn job search tool is great as well. And then if you have organizations you're interested in working in, following them on LinkedIn can be a great way to see their work, to see their blog posts, to see if they have any upcoming public webinars that you can listen into. Why do you choose to work in education? Yeah, I always just really loved kids and working with kids. And then when I did AmeriCorps, I just saw so many pieces of our public education system that were really broken. It seemed like a space that I wanted to learn more about and see what I could do to maybe make it a little bit better. 
what if like the listeners here want to do anything, something for the education? Is there something that they could do? Well, there's、um, one great thing for students. I know it was good for me and a good experience that I had on the other side is being a tutor. And there's lots of programs where you can be a part-time tutor for students of all ages. It can be reading to a five-year-old or helping a high schooler with their math homework. So I would say if folks are interested in education and like working with kids, finding tutoring opportunities in your area where you can volunteer、um, for free. And help students is always a great way to get involved. Do you have anything you want to say to the listeners? I would just say if you feel like you don't know what you want to do with your career and you're not sure yet, that is okay. And don't worry about it. <laughs> just try things, talk to people, and realize that again, yeah, it's a jungle gym, not a ladder, and you don't have to figure it out anytime soon. Well, thank you so much for the interview today. Yeah, no problem. It was really nice to chat with you, and I'm excited to listen to the podcast. Thank you. Work in philanthropy is more than just deciding where the money goes. It's isolating goals, analyzing the data, and maintaining a workplace where employees feel comfortable sticking around. However, a career doesn't have to be marked by a significant tenure at one company or organization. There's nothing wrong with changing what you want to be when you grow up, no matter how grown up you are. Thanks for listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. Next week, we'll take a break from our Witties in the Workforce series and focus on the world a bit closer to campus, rather than what's beyond it.